Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is David Pestis. I've been with Amazon for about four and a half years. I was actually at the first reInvent in 2012, and there were actually only 5,000 attendees in 2012. Today, if you guys watched uh, Andy's keynote, there's 44,000 people. So unbelievable the growth we've, growth we've seen over the last uh, five years. When I, w when I came in 2012, I was in New York City. I was a customer, and I knew I really wanted to be part of AWS. So I'm super fired up to be here with you guys today. Um, we also have a special guest here, Andrew Spiker from Netflix, who's going to give us a little bit of a demo, um, a very cool demo in terms of uh, how they're using ELB in their application architectures today. So hopefully we have a lot of good stuff for you guys today. Uh, so what is elastic load balancing? This is the only slide that I'm going to read directly off the slide. Uh, elastic load balancing automatically distributes incoming application traffic across multiple targets, such as Amazon EC2 instances, containers and IP addresses. So for those of you who follow the ELB roadmap, will know that IP address is a new feature that we added about two months ago. And so you can actually add IP addresses accessible from your VPC as targets behind your load balancer. So when, when we talk about load balancing, we talk about two, two, major, two main types of load balancing. Uh, the first is layer four. So layer four load balancing is, supports TCP, SSL, um, your incoming client uh, connections are bound to a server connection. So all those requests that come through the, the layer four load balancer are really just passed through to the targets. Uh, there's no header modification with layer four. Uh, if you want to know the source IP address with layer four load balancing, you can use things like proxy protocol. Layer seven is the HTTP, HTTPS load balancing. So this is at that layer seven. Uh, in AWS, our load balancers, our layer seven load balancer actually terminates the connection on the load balancer. Uh, we, can, we look at these requests so we can do things like content-based routing and be very smart in the way that we route these uh, requests to your targets. And so um, we, we do modify headers with layer seven load balancing. And so, for example, with the exported for header, we'll append that source IP to that header so that when the request reaches the target, you actually know where that request is coming from. So the Elastic Load Balancing family today has uh, three, three main products. The first one is the Elastic, the Application Load Balancer, which was launched in August of 2016. This is your HTTP, HTTPS, Layer 7, very feature-rich load balancer. Today's talk is primarily going to focus on the Application Load Balancer. The second one is the Network Load Balancer. This is your Layer 4 Load Balancer. This was released about two months ago, extremely highly performant a high, um, high performance, very low latency for your layer four TCP traffic. And then finally, um, in 2000, since 2009, we've had the classic load balancer. This is, we're calling this our previous generation load balancer. It's extremely highly available, extremely reliable product, but you'll see the future of load balancing is really these, this application load balancer and the network load balancing products in the ELB family. So, there, there are four um, really main characteristics of all these ELB uh, products in the ELB family. The first one is that ELB is extremely elastic. And so what this means is, we love the word elastic in AWS, but what we mean is you create that load balancer. And as you start increasing traffic to that load balancer, as you start getting more and more customers, we dynamically scale that load balancer for you. You do not have to do anything. And so we'll dynamically add capacity, add more resources at that load balancer so, so that we can handle these increases in traffic. Second is we're extremely secure. And so we like to build a lot of security features for you guys, such as SNI, um, SSL, uh, managed SSL policies, uh, 
and so that we want you guys to be able to focus on really building awesome applications. And so we have a whole team working on security to make sure that we're making it easy for you to apply the most advanced security to your load balancers. We're integrated, and so what that means is ELB is integrated with um, more than 15 different AWS services, things like CloudWatch, um, the container service, uh, Route 53. And so just by nature of using ELB, you get very deep into the AWS ecosystem and you get to take a advantage of a lot of these different features, such as auto-scaling. And finally, we're cost-effective. Uh, if you look at, you know, some customers talk about how they want to run their own load, bal load balancer themselves and create their own EC2 instances. Um, when you look at the cost of having us operate and run that load balancer and do all the stuff for you versus you doing it yourself, it's way more cost-effective to run, to use uh, ELB products uh, to run your load balancers. So this is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, we've all been here, right? When we start building the application, we use one server, we put the database, we put the application on one server, and it doesn't take a very smart person to figure out that this is a very dangerous architecture. It doesn't scale. Uh, it's got a single point of failure. And so what we want your application to look like is something like this, where you put a load balancer in front of your application, and behind that load balancer, you have multiple application servers. And what's very cool about the load balancer is that one of these targets, one of these EC2 instances fails, the load balancer will automatically fail away from that EC2 instance. And so things like um, you know, uh, garbage collection or core dumps, or you have a bug in your application, you have memory pressure, and we've all deployed a bug, of course. Um, if that happens and one of these EC2 instances starts having problems, the load balancer will just stop routing, magically stop routing traffic there, and we'll get into more of those details shortly. The health check is my favorite feature of the load balancer, by the way, if you cared. Um, so we're going to get into some of the underlying architecture of ELB. We typically don't share these details, um, so I'm pretty excited to share with this with you guys today. And these, these are fundamental concepts that go across all the ELB products. So starting with the customer VBC, when you guys create a load balancer, we want you to give us two different subnets and two different availability zones. And so we like it when you create these subnets and you create uh, EC2 instances or you know, targets inside of two different subnets. And you, we'll get into detail shortly, but this helps create that high availability. Then you have ELB. We use VPC the same exact way that you guys do. And so we'll create ELB nodes and, and AZs corresponding to where your targets are located. And so we get that high availability as well. And then finally, you have Route 53. So when you create a load balancer, we give you an A record. You can take that A record and put it and create a C name in DNS. You know, so David.com will route to this load balancer. Amazon Route 53 will actually round robin across these ELB nodes. So you get extra redundancy there. Now you have resources in two different VPCs, and so you get extra availability there. And so all these layers um, really help build, create a highly available application for you. And we'll get into a lot more of these details shortly. By the way, we're huge supporters of Route 53 and ELB, and so you guys want to look at their health checking service, it's awesome, highly recommend you take a look. So now we're gonna get into the details, the fun stuff of the application load balancer. So this is a, it's new, it's a little more than a year old, but it still feels new to me. Um, it's a feature-rich layer seven load balancing platform, and the, one of the key features of the application load balancer is the content-based routing. So what that means is, based on the content of those requests, we can route, these requests to different, different applications behind the load balancer. Uh, we support microservices, 
container applications, and we're going get to get into that shortly. Uh, we support WebSockets and HTTP2. These are supported out of the box. You don't have to do anything. You just get WebSockets and HTTP2. And so most modern browsers today support HTTP2. So your application, when it commu communicates with the ALB, it'll just establish an HTTP2 connection. Um, path and host-based routing. Um, we have improved health checks. And we'll get into those details shortly. Amazon CloudWatch, improved performance for real-time and streaming applications. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the classic load balancer was built in 2009. That's that old load balancer. The application load balancer was launched a year ago. We had this huge struggle. We don't like to break backwards compatibility in ELB. And so we were trying to take all these cool new ALB features and, and jam them into the, the initial API design that was released in 2009, and we just couldn't get it to work. And so we launched a brand new API as part of the application load balancer. We were very nervous to do it, but we had to do it. And I'm very pleased to say that the vast majority of our, of our customers have been very happy. And that same API works for both ALB and NLB. And then finally, this is kind of a funny feature, but load balancer API deletion protection. Uh, we do get a lot of calls where customers have accidentally deleted their load balancers and they call us panicked. Uh, this is available on EC2 today, right? You can protect deletion from your EC2 instance. So now, you know, it's a fun feature. We're very proud that we have now released deletion protection for your load balancer. So in the last year, we've been very busy. Uh, we've launched things like host-based routing, SNI, which allows you to put multiple certificates on a load balancer, CloudWatch percentile support, request tracing, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go through all of these shortly, so I'm not going to, I promised you I wouldn't read more than one slide. So we're, now what we're going to do is we're going to build an ALB from the ground up for fun. Not for real, but you know, conceptually. So you start with a load balancer, and every load balancer needs a listener. And you might ask, what's a listener? Listeners define the port and protocol um, that the load balancer is listening at. And so for ALB, the most typical listeners are HTTP with port 80 or HTTPS with port 443. And each load balancer can have up to 10 different listeners. And we talked about these routing rules where you can do content-based routing or host-based routing. Those are defined at the listener level. So the next thing we're going to do is add target groups. Um, target groups are logical, um, logical collections of AWS resources. So as I mentioned in that first slide that I read off of, it can either be containers, IP addresses, or EC2 instances. And every target group has its own customized health check. So you can configure these health checks. And so each target group can have its own type of a health check. And so again, I said the target groups are these logical groupings of targets. They exist independently of the load balancer. And so you can be preparing this target group off to the side, adding your resources to that target group. And when it's ready, you can then attach it to the load balancer. And each target group contain up to 1,000 resources. So you can have 1,000 containers, 1,000 IP addresses, 1,000 EC2 instances. And the other cool thing about this is that each target group can be associated with an auto-scaling group. And so each of these target groups, you know, typically they're going to be different applications. And each target group can be scaled independently of the other target groups. So you can get very, very granular and very efficient in the way that you scale your resources. So as I mentioned earlier, health checks are my favorite feature of the, of the load balancer. Um, these allow for, for traffic to be shifted away from, from targets that might be impaired. And so what does this look like? Here you have a healthy running application. All three of these targets are running great. Now that top EC2 instance suddenly 
has high CPU, and so it becomes less responsive to the health check. So what will happen is the ELB will now automatically fail away from that EC2 instance. You guys are going to get a notification that one of your hosts isn't healthy, so you can take your time, go debug that application, figure out what's going on, and magically that EC2 instance becomes healthy again, and the ELB will resume routing traffic. And so you set these thresholds of what's healthy and what's not healthy inside of your health check. So one of the things I like to talk about is um, I really want you guys to think about the depth and accuracy of your health checks. And so one of the problems that we have is when people create these health checks, you know, the ALB is actually pinging those targets behind the load balancer. And what a lot of customers will do is they'll have this master database that's supporting the entire company. And every time they do one of these health check calls, it's actually calling that master database. And so that master database by chance goes down, all of a sudden you've taken out every single target from your application, right? So your application is down because of a database failure. So you want to be very careful with, you don't want these health checks to go too deep. What I like to tell customers is that I, your health check should be deep enough, just deep enough, to detect the health of an individual target. But it, sh it shouldn't go beyond that. And so really think deeply about how deeply, how deep you make those health checks. Um, the other thing is that you can customize the healthy response code now with the health check on the classic load balancer was only a 200. Now we can mark uh, a target as healthy with any code between 200 and 300. And the other thing we've added is uh, if you look at the API or look at the console and a target is failing, we'll actually tell you and we'll give you the reason why that target has failed that health check. So the next thing we're going to do here is we're going to add resources to these target groups. And so in this chart, you know, you have one target group with EC2 instances, one with IP addresses, one with containers. And one thing to mention here is target groups have to be homogenous. You can't have mixtures of resource types in the target groups. And so they have to be all of one of these three types. And so again, we support EC2 instances. Um, you can actually register an EC2 instance multiple times with the same target group with different, a different port. And so this allows you to start using containers. We'll get into this in a moment. But if you want to configure containers, you want to put 20 containers on the same EC2 instance, you can register that EC2 instance 20 times with a different port for each container. Um, and a single, a single EC2 instance can also be registered with multiple target groups. And one of the very cool things here is now you can route to IP addresses that are accessible from your VPC. You can even route to IP addresses that are on-premise. And so you can get to these. If your VPC is connected to your on-prem um, via Direct Connect or VPN, uh, you can then route to those IP addresses. So now we have this beautiful architecture, and we're going to add some rules. This is where I think ALB gets very exciting. And so on that listener on the left side there, we have two rules. You have the default rule and slash image. And so anything, any request that comes through, like david.com slash image is going to get routed to target group two. Everything else is going to go through target group one. So this is where you can really start getting granular with your request types and how you route these to your different target applications behind your load balancer. So you get these rules. Um, each listener can have one or more rules. Um, rule is a conditioner and action. And so like we said, slash image is a con condition, and the action is route to this target group. Um, today, rules can forward, can forward the request to specific target groups. And you know, over time, we'll get more advanced with the type of actions that you can take. Um, this is the, the format that, these rule, that uh, 
the path can take inside of the URL. And so these are basic syntax guidance for you. We also have host-based routing. And so you can do, like I said, slash image. You can route on the slash image of the path, or you can do host. So david.com can go to one target group. Andrew.com can go to another target group. So you can do host-based routing as well. So now we have our rules, we have our targets, we have our health checks. And this is where things get very cool as well. So here's, here's your typical, your old you know, 2009 classic load balancer architecture. You have an application. Now let's pretend you want to add another application. Well, the way you used to have to do that is you had to create another classic load balancer because you know, orders.example.com and images.example.com couldn't go to the same place. They can't go to the same load balancer the way the classic was architected. It's now with ALB, we, we can actually combine that. And so you can now consolidate your applications behind a single load balancer. And so this is awesome, right? It's easier for you to maintain. You have one less load balancer. It's cheaper because you're not paying that monthly fee now. Um, so it becomes way more efficient for you to operate your applications. The, one, the, the guidance I like to give is some people get so excited. They're, they're like, oh my god, you know, I have 100 applications in my company. I'm going to consolidate these all behind the ALB. Um, I don't want you to do that either, because that becomes dangerous, right? You grossly increase your blast radius. You get a single point of failure. If somebody in another department accidentally changes a rule, and all of a sudden they've brought down every application in your, in your company. And so sometimes we give the guidance of um, you know, maybe one load balancer for department or team. So you know, be careful on how much you consolidate, because it can get, you can get yourself into some dangerous territory. What else? So we talked about this a little earlier, but basically each of these target groups can be tied to its own individual uh, auto-scaling group. And so maybe one application starts getting hot and you want to scale that one target group, you can scale that target group independently of the other target groups. So again, this allows you to be very efficient in the way that you scale your resources. We're deeply integrated with ECS, which is the Elastic Container Service. Um, this is super exciting because um, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to all the features that they've released, but now they have Fargate, um, the fully managed container service. We now support Kubernetes. EKS was just released. And like, it's so cool because we just get that. Like, e the ELB team didn't have to do any work, but just because we're deeply integrated with ECS, like, you guys just get these features. And so uh, you can use Kubernetes and Fargate, which makes it a whole lot easier for you to deploy containers behind your application load balancer. And ECS... By using ECS, they, just, they do all that heavy lifting for you, all that port mapping. It's all, it all happens automatically, so it makes it a lot easier for you guys to use containers behind your application. So here you can see, we kind of talked about this earlier, but now you have two different target groups. One has EC2 instances, and one has containers. So we talked earlier about uh, security policies uh, on the load balancer. With ALB, we have these predefined security policies. So when you create an ALB, it's a drop-down menu. So we have these, I think, five different policies. Literally, if you create your ALB and say, I want to do HTTPS, you have a drop-down of these policies. What's very cool about this is if there's an issue one day, um, you know, maybe there's a security vulnerability in, in, in OpenSSL or something like that, um, you can literally, with a drop-down menu, apply that new policy and secure your load balancer. And so, Again, we design these policies so that you guys can focus on building awesome applications and not have to get so deep into the security because this is really complicated stuff. So SNI, we, we, uh, we recently released SNI about two months ago, maybe a month ago, I don't know. 
But uh, anyways, this allows you, this is one of the most requested features over the last five years. If you look at the message boards, everybody wanted SNI. And so what this allows you to do now is you can have multiple domains on the same load balancer, um, each with its own TLS certificate. And so again, it allows you to be, put more applications behind your load balancer, not too many, but it um, makes, it, makes it so you can be a lot more efficient with the way you manage your applications. We're deeply integrated with ACM, which is the Amazon Certificate Management Service. And so we give you free SSL certificates. And these things are updated automatically, so it prevents you from having any expiration issues. So it's just a very easy way to manage your certificates on your load balancer. This is my favorite slide, because I don't have to say anything else. But <laughs> we, I thought this was very funny. I'm happy to hear you guys laughing. But we finally launched. IPv6, I think uh, the world was trying to get this for about 20 years, but we finally have IPv6 support. When you create your load balancer, there's a drop-down menu, you can click dual stack, and we give you an IPv6 address and an IPv4 address. So we're very proud that this finally launched. Uh, WAF, WAF is super cool, um, especially yesterday because of, there was another announcement, but this is the web application firewall. And every request that comes to your load balancer gets inspected if you turn this on, you have to enroll in this feature, but if you have WAF on your load balancer, WAF will inspect your inspect a request and either allow it or, or reject it. And so you know, we can look for SQL injection, uh, cross-site scripting. One of the things that I'm super excited about is yesterday, yesterday or this morning, they launched uh, managed policies. So like Alert Logic, Trend Micro, now have these managed security policies on WAF that will, and if there's new threats, those policies will just get updated. You don't have to do anything. So these manage, these, this is one of those things where just by nature of using WAF, uh, you, get, you just get these new features. And so I'm actually, I'm very excited to go look at some of these managed policies that Alert, Alert Logic and Trend Michael are putting in WAF. So a super cool feature to add to your load balancer, to add another layer of security for you. And finally, the fun part, because I'm pretty boring, uh, Andrew's going to give a quick demo on IP as a target. Hey, thanks, David. <laughs> so at Netflix, we've been using uh, ELB technology since the move to the cloud, and I wanted to cover two uh, cases. First, if you think about our streaming service, which serves over 109 uh, million uh, customers uh, on a daily basis, um, we have some pretty advanced load balancing technology. Um, so what you can see here is as you're streaming, as you're watching um, uh, Netflix content, as you're interacting with our uh, streaming experience, you're going through Route 53 and you're getting geolocated across US East 1, uh, EU West 1, and US West 2, whichever is closest to you. Uh, right below that, we're using uh, CLB at that level of scale. And right below that, we're talking to our uh, cloud gateway uh, technology, something we've open sourced called Zool. And then in the microservices network, our load balancing is based on uh, technology we've also open source called Eureka. Um, what all these layers of load balancing do for us is fault tolerance. Um, so if you think about failures that occur because we do bad code deploys in any one uh, region, or if there's a temporary uh, instability in one of the Amazon regions, we can actually start shifting traffic from that Zool layer across regions um, and then eventually change DNS and start moving your traffic around the world. And we've got it down to around six minutes that we can actually take all of the traffic, I'll say US East uh, 1, and split it to EU and the West Coast without you noticing an availability event. 
Um, we couldn't do this without load balancing technologies. Uh, that's one area of Netflix and load balancing. Another area, which I'm going to go into deep today, is our ALB usage. So um, while you know, we need this for the streaming service, there's a lot of people that are looking for some of the more advanced features that are coming out with ALB, as well as a simple load balancing solution than all these tiers I just talked about. Um, people that are in our content uh, area, people that are working in our studio, people that are uh, doing partner-facing uh, applications. Um, and they're using Spinnerter to uh, configure ALBs, which I'll show you in a second. So who am I? Um, I'm Andrew Spiker. Um, that was the global Netflix view. My, my day job is I run the container management platform at Netflix, um, something that we love to call Titus on the upper right side there. I've got some stickers if you want it afterwards. Um, Titus launches about a million containers a week. Um, and when we set out to design Titus as a container management platform, we wanted it to be natively AWS integrated. And from a networking perspective, what that meant was we wanted IPs, full IP stacks for each one of our containers. We didn't want to do port mapping. We didn't want to do an overlay network. Um, we wanted just straight up mapping into VPC. That gives us security groups. That gives us things like IAM roles. But it presented a challenge, um, especially on the load balancing front. The challenge was, up until uh, what we're going to talk about with IP targets, is you could only register the EC2 host. I'm not going to go into deep details here, because you can watch the uh, presentation from last year's reInvent, but this is what our networking stack looks like on a single instance that's running multiple containers in Titus. So the big takeaway here is that's a single virtual machine host, and there's three containers that are running, and there's a lot of networking GORP and magic that basically maps them to two different ENIs and three different IP addresses. Um, before ALB and IP targets, we couldn't map this into the ALB world because we could only map that virtual machine host and we want, didn't want to do that port mapping. So now with ALBs and actually with our Spinnaker enablement of this, um, Spinnaker is our continuous deployment platform um, at Netflix. Um, we can manage ALBs and associate them with container clusters. Uh, Spinnaker uh, wraps up the concept of an application at Netflix. So it takes uh, your image, it takes your load balancers, it takes your security groups, it takes your IAM roles, all the things that go together to create a microservice and exposes it out into a single pane of management. Um, for ALB specifically, what we can do is we can define the cluster, uh, much like you would with the EC2 instances, but now with containers, and then we associate an IP target group um, under a known ELB. Um, and like David was talking about, we have a lot of flexibility, so we can have ALBs that are crossing different uh, clusters of containers. Uh, we can have them cr crossing EC2 instances and containers as people are migrating between the two. All that flexibility in listeners and, and target groups gives us uh, arbitrary mapping that we can play with. Um, and basically, the user at the end of the day tells Spinnaker to find a cluster which talks to our Titus uh, runtime for containers and then tells it which IP target group to associate it with. How this actually works then um, as traffic starts flowing um, into those containers. On the bottom side, you'll see all the containers that are running. Um, in the upper left, you'll see the container runtime, something, uh, as I said, Titus. Um, and you'll associate that ALB with an IP target group, and initially it'll be empty, right? But as containers start up or containers are replaced, we in Titus will launch a container. As part of that launching the container, we'll configure its VPC resources. We'll get back an IP, and then we'll update the IP target group. And at that point, the ALB can start flowing traffic down to the containers. 
This is sort of the basic block and tackle of getting it working. Um, we also had to do some uh, two advanced things that I want to talk about in terms of handling uh, downscales and, as you said, your favorite uh, uh, feature, health checks and health check reconciliation. So let me cover those real quick uh, before I turn it back over. Uh, one of the advanced features we had to do, and, and the ALB APIs let us do this, it's pretty amazing, is you can imagine one of these containers has to shut down, so you're, you're like auto-scaling your cluster down. Uh, you don't want to just kill the container, or if it was an EC2 instance, you don't want to just kill it, because now the IP target group has an IP that is serving traffic that is no longer in existence. Um, so with the APIs and ALB, what we do is when we see a downscaling event come into Titus, we'll actually make a call over to the ALB service and say, can you start draining this IP address in this IP target group? And when it's done, then we can terminate the container. Uh, so it gives us much more graceful shutdown. The other feature that we've implemented is health check uh, reconciliation. So it's great to have health checks. It's great to have them deep, but not too deep. Um, but then what do you do with them? Um, what we do is the, IP, the ALB is constantly doing health checks of our containers, uh, calling those health check um, implementations. And then our container runtime, Titus, is actually polling the IP target group for the health of all of these instances. And when it sees one that's failing um, a health check uh, for enough of time, it'll actually terminate the container instance and then it will replace it with a new healthy instance. And those are just some of the things that we've been able to do. Without this IP target um, uh, support in ALBs, we would have been kind of shut off from uh, running containers uh, within load balancing. But with this, now we're able to do our own load balancing, both at the scale of the streaming service, as well as some of the advanced use cases that were coming through the ALB side. Cool. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you, Andrew. I know you guys all came to see Andrew and not me anyway, so I really appreciate that. Uh, so a couple details about IP as a target. Um, these, are, these are the RFC ranges of the IP addresses that the ALB can reach. Uh, the other thing, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but if you want to reach on-premise IP addresses, if you have a direct connect or VPN to your VPC, you can reach those as well. So a super cool feature and some very cool use cases, as um, Andrew just showed you guys. So cross-zone load balancing, th this ties back to that, that architecture that I showed you guys earlier. Um, this is a fundamental feature that's enabled with every single application load balancer. And so we evenly distribute requests across both of your availability zones or both of your subnets. As I mentioned earlier, we want you to give us two different subnets. We want you to put targets in, in both subnets. We believe so strongly in multi-AZ, we always have ELB in two different availability zones. Um, even if you only give us one subnet, we're still gonna load balance across these two different availability zones. Because if there's an issue with one of those ALB nodes, um, we'll just fail away from it. But even if we fail away to the node that's not in the same AZ as your targets, we'll still route there. And so we'll give you a little example here. Um, here's here's a, a functioning application. And we get some issues here, right? And so maybe something happens to that one AZ, um, those targets start failing. That node in US West 1B can still reach the targets in US, in US West 1A. So this is a key feature of high availability that the application load balancer provides you. So we highly recommend, again, that you put resources in both AZs. Uh, for, sometimes it, it, you can't do it, and that's okay. But where, when it's possible, please do that. 
The other thing that happens here is with cross-zone load balancing is without cross-zone load balancing, um, you could actually get, a, you could, you get an imbalanced load. And see, you can see that EC2 instance on the top, AZ is running hot right now. But when you turn on cross-zone load balancing, the traffic now gets distributed evenly across all, both of your subnets, of, across all of your resources. So you can see, even though you might have only one resources in one AZ and four in the other, with cross-zone load balancing, we still evenly distribute the load. And by the way, uh, typically when you do cross-zone with EC2, you get charged. There is no charge with ALB. So even though we might be sending, sending traffic across that barrier, there is no charge for you as an ALB customer. So now we're getting into the details of uh, Amazon CloudWatch metrics. Uh, this is also a very cool feature of ALB because we're in this unique position where all these requests are coming from the ALB, so we have very unique visibility into the health of your application. And so we, just by nature of using ALB, you get all these CloudWatch metrics. And first of all, it's a one-minute granularity, so you can look at things every minute. Second of all, uh, we just released a feature, percentiles. And so when you look at, at, like for example, if you're looking at latencies, and you look at an average latency, it's very hard to detect issues, right? Because some of these, if there's a problem customer or a problem issue, they get hidden in that average. And so if you start using things like percentiles, at Amazon we call P99. So I'm looking at the P99 of latency, and the latency is 10 milliseconds. That means every single customer has experienced 10 milliseconds or better. So it kind of gives you that worst case. And so it becomes a whole lot easier to zero in on problems by using percentiles. And I mean, the scale of AWS, obviously, as you guys know, is so big. We use P99.9, P99.99. Sometimes it gets so hard to zero in on where there are problems with our applications or our services. Well, one of the, the, one of the most important metrics is that healthy host count. And this gives you the number of healthy hosts in a specific availability zone. So you can alarm on this. Maybe you're expecting to have 10 hosts in a specific availability zone, and one of those hosts becomes unhealthy, all of a sudden your metric is nine, you can get an alert. So this is a really cool way to monitor the health of your application. The, the number one reason for this failure, for the healthy host count to start dropping, is that those health checks start failing. And so you're waiting for a response from the target, and you're not getting that response because of, you know, it's going beyond um, that, certain, that uh, certain latency. Uh, this, so this is a very important metric. This is the time uh, it takes from the, when the packet leaves the, the load balancer, goes through the target, and comes back. And so when you start seeing increases in these latencies, it's typically a sign of an underscaled application. So you pro most likely you're going to need to add more capacity to, the, to that target group behind the load balancer. So when you start seeing these metrics go up, um, you, know, you can actually scale on this via your auto-scaling group. Rejected connection count, um, this basically means that the application load balancer is getting requests, and we have nowhere to route them to. All the, all the targets are busy, so we just start dropping, these tar we start dropping these requests. And so this is obviously a sign of an underscaled application as well, and some, something you would want to watch pretty closely. And what the, the very cool thing is, you know, we've been talking about this throughout this talk, is each target group is really its own application. And so what we do is we give you all these metrics at the target group level. So you can monitor performance of your specific applications behind your load balancer. And then finally, we have access logs. And so these CloudWatch metrics give you this high level, you know, um, aggregate view across your, across your various target groups. 
but like you start seeing a latency problem, for example, you're gonna look at that access log. To so the access log contains the request time, the client IP address, latency, request path, so you get really, really um, good detail on the type of request coming through the load balancer, and you can use the access log to really help deep dive where's that problem coming from. Um, we ship access logs off of the load balancer every five or 60 minutes, depending on how you have them configured. So it usually starts with you detecting a problem in your CloudWatch metrics, and then really debugging it via your access logs. So now we're getting into the pricing. Uh, the ALB is actually 10% cheaper per month versus this CLB, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then we have this new concept called an LCU. The LCU costs uh, 8 tenths of a, per, of a cent per hour. And what an LCU is, LCU gives you uh, 25 new connections per second, 3,000 active connections per minute, up to 2.22 megabits, megabytes, which translates to one gigabyte per hour, or 1,000 rules evaluated. You remember all those content-based rules or host-based rules. And basically every hour we look at all four of these dimensions and we'll charge you on the one that has the highest usage. Typically, you know, 99, P99 uh, of workloads are usually bandwidth bound, you know, but you know, sometimes people will have like very high connection rates, you know, they have a whole bunch of web sockets, um, but typically you'll see that your LCU is bound by bandwidth in most, most workloads. So migrating to the application load balancer, you know, a lot of people are still using the classic load balancer today. As we mentioned, it's super reliable, uh, super high availability, and it's really, it's really easy. If you create a new load balancer, a new application load balancer, we give you a new A record, and you can start creating targets and putting it behind that application load balancer, and maybe in Route 53, you start waiting away from your old load balancer to the new one. So it's very easy um, via DNS to create a load balancer and start testing things. Um, last week or two weeks ago, we launched a migration wizard. We'll actually create an application load balancer and replicate that configuration on your classic load balancer and add it to your application load balancer. So we're trying to make this very easy for you because first of all, application load balancer is cheaper, and second of all, all those cool features are available on application load balancer. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you guys to migrate to that ALB. So the question starts coming, when should I use application load balancer? And here's, here's a feature breakdown of the application load balancer versus the network load balancer versus the classic load balancer. Um, we don't really want you using classic load balancer. Um, there are, there are um, some edge cases where classic load balancer works. For example, um, if, you, if you are using TCP and you want SSL termination, that's not yet available in NLB, but besides that, um, if, you're doing, if you're doing anything but T, TCP load balancer, we want you to use ALB. So we made this very simple. For TCP, use network load balancer. For all other use cases, use the application load balancer. And finally, to learn more, uh, we have the, you know, here's some links to the documentation. I'm on Twitter if you guys have questions, and uh, Andrew and I are happy to answer any questions you guys have about ELB. Cool. Thank you, guys. <laughs>